If someone says to you, Matt, you're full of it. You are absolutely full of it. I hope you can turn around and say, yeah, I am, but I'm not full of it. I'm full of him. Because really that's what scripture is trying to say. We should be full of the presence of God in a, in a really tangible way. We've been looking at these series and we've really picked up a number of different topics that speak to the theme of fullness. We've looked at the kingdom of God. We've looked at things like the, the fruit of the Spirit and being pruned so that there's this growth in us all the time, growth towards fullness. We've looked at living victoriously. We've looked at the, the three baptisms of being, you know, walking this journey of fullness into everything that God wants us to, to encounter. We've talked about purity and the power of purity and trust and obedience. And uh, we've been looking at this passage of Scripture as our, as our leading I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the believers to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. What I want to do is go back to the start of that passage today because there's layers to it. You do this so that you can have this, so that you can experience this. But if you don't have the foundation, the first one, the other ones won't come or they won't come properly. So I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you, and we can individually put our name in there, with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's the foundational framework for experiencing everything in God. If the Holy Spirit is not alive in your inner being, then you cannot go on to fullness in God. It's impossible because it's by the spirit, through the spirit, that we encounter God and that God is at work in our lives. And so we want to have a sense that our inner being has a full tank, that we are full of God in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits, in our soul. There should be an understanding that we are full. And when we are empty, we need to refill. It's like the principle of driving your car. If you don't fill it up with petrol or gas or diesel, you're not going to get very far. The motor might be there, the, the transmission might be there, the diff, the wheels, the body, the steering wheel, everything. But if it doesn't have the power, what good is the car? It's great. You can sit in the garage, look at my wonderful car, but it's not designed to sit. It's designed to move, and it needs fuel and it needs power, and same with our lives. We need the power of the Spirit. And without the Holy Spirit in our inner being welling up in us and overflowing through us, we'll never be effective for God. We'll never experience God. And, and, and that's a dry faith if we're not encountering God. We've been singing worship songs this morning. If you're not encountering God, there's something not right because we're designed to experience God from the inside out. Sadly, Christianity has been becoming about experiencing God from the outside and then God, I hope I feel something in me. And so I hope the music is loud enough or vibrant enough or you know, my style enough so that I feel good enough to experience God. That's not worship. Worship flows inside out 
and we've become a culture where we're trying to go outside in. If, it's, if all the things match up, if that preacher's dynamic enough and if he's really quirky and if he's great and he makes me feel good, then I'll encounter God. But what if he's a dry, old, boring man that speaks truth? It's from the inside out, not the other way around. We need to be really careful that we don't cultivate a culture where it's the wrong way around. And I keep hearing that all the time. Young people today will not go to church unless the music is loud and vibrant. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Hear me loud and clear. But if that's the mechanism that enables you to encounter God, there's something not right. Because it's not the bells and whistles that enable us to, to worship God. It's our inner being being alive by his spirit, which means you can sit on a beach, you can sit on a mountaintop, you can sit in a cafe, you can sit on the toilet. It doesn't matter. You can encounter God. It's not the external stimulus. It's the inner awakening of the spirit that overflows the rivers of living water. So strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So we've been sort of looking at this back to front. Now we need to go back to the beginning and say, is the foundation right? So the phrase fullness or filled, keep those thoughts in mind, full and filled, whatever you know, adjective you want to use, and the person and the work or the activity of the Holy Spirit, they're synonymous. They go together. Wherever the Holy Spirit is, there is fullness. There's a filling. That's what he does, and that's who he is. The two go together. His purpose, like what, what the Spirit comes to do, is to bring fullness into us, um, in, is to enable that to happen. But his presence, by definition, means that there is fullness. Okay, let me explain what that means. When God gives his Spirit to you, he gives it without measure. Okay, so God doesn't say, Helen, you've been a good girl. Today I'm going to give you 50% of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say to Fiona, Fiona, you've been coming to church regularly. That's great. I'll give you 30%. Now understand this really clearly. The Holy Spirit is a person. So if, if Cheryl is in me, do you get it? I've got the fullness of Cheryl because she's in me. I have the Spirit of God in me, therefore I have the fullness of God in my life. Because he's a person, he's not a power. So if he possesses you or invades you, therefore you have the fullness of God. It's there. It's resident within you. It makes no sense if it's not. So it's really that, that God does not measure out the Spirit incrementally based on anything that we do or don't do. He fills us on the basis of a profession of faith. By faith, we give our life to, to Christ because Christ died on the, sins for, uh, on the cross for us. We repent, ask God to forgive us, and then we ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill our lives. That's the starting point when the infilling happens for the first time. And a lot of people miss that. And they try to go on in their faith without having that indwelling spiritual experience. But because the Holy Spirit is a person, a supernatural being, who takes up residence in our inner being, he's either indwelling or he's not. He's either there or he isn't. There's no in-between. You don't, you don't get half, three-quarters, you don't get 20%. You either get the fullness of God or you don't have God at work in your life at all. He's not there. He's still external. 
But the whole dynamic of Christianity is God invading us. God taking possession of us because we surrender possession to him. It's coming to that recognition that without God, we can't do this life. We can't live this life. So do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? He dwells within you in all his fullness. And so the only person that can gauge or measure whether the fullness of God is flowing through your life is you and God. Because only you know what's going on in your inner being. It's your inner being, it's not mine. God might give me you know, wisdom or some insight into what's going on in your life, but I don't really know tangibly what's happening for Paul over there right now. Only he knows. It's his inner being. He knows if the Spirit's at work, or he knows if God feels like he's at a distance, or he knows if he's dry, or if he knows if he's soaking in God's anointing and presence. Like it's a personal experience with God. And God wants to have that intimacy with us not just once a Sunday, you know, for 20 minutes when we sing a few songs, but he wants to walk in that presence and power within us daily, every day. And that's the point that Paul was writing about. He was saying our inner being, our spirit within us, bears witness or amalgamates with God's spirit so that we know we're the children of God. So we have this connection with the spirit, a Holy Spirit, with our spirit, and we're alive. And, and we're moving in God because God is in us and we've given him that rightful place of, of authority in our lives. We are spirit-filled. We are walking in the spirit moment by moment, day by day. So we know from the analogies of Scripture about how the Holy Spirit is described that we can see what he does, his activity, but who he is. And those two go together. So we know about living water. And living water has the connotation of this wellspring, this freshness of God being flowing through our life all the time. Livers of living water. That's what he does in us. He revives us. He sustains us. He, he makes it possible for us to live this life supernaturally. Without him, there's no, nothing that's living in us. We're doing it in our own strength. And the Holy Spirit's often described as a fire. What does a fire do? It purges and it energizes and it refines. That's the work of the Spirit in our life. And we often say, oh, you know, that guy's on fire for God. What's really happening? The Spirit's flowing through that person and, and outworking in that person's life. It's not the person, it's the Spirit of God within them. And then getting out of the way and saying, God, you do it. And allowing that fire to flow. We often know about the, the rushing wind when the apostles were, were in the upper room and it a sound like a rushing wind, like a rushing wind. It wasn't the wind. It was the Holy Spirit coming. And he's like that because he's supernatural. He's not like us and he wants to come. But that's his activity. But then when Jesus was teaching about sending the comforter and the advocate and, and, and the, you know, the counsellor, that's talking about who who the Holy Spirit is. That's, that's who he is in our life. He's our advocate. He's fighting on our behalf. He's our counsellor that's constantly speaking to us, reminding us, going, Deanna, you're thinking the wrong thing there, love. That's not my truth. I'm your counsellor. Listen to me. I don't want to listen to you. But that's, his, that's who he is. He can't help but do that. That's his job. And so when we, we put those two together, we understand who God is in our life 
and what he wants to do with us. So his activity, his ministry in and through us is phenomenal. It is powerful that he may strengthen you with power by the Spirit or through the Spirit in your inner being so that you may know Christ. That's the whole point. It starts with his Spirit. And relational experience, intimacy with the Holy Spirit is the normal path of Christianity. As we are doing freedom in Christ with lots of people in this congregation, we are discovering that people don't experience the Spirit and never have because the foundational process wasn't right. They've been doing religion. They've been seeking after God. There's nothing wrong with their heart attitude. They want to worship God, but they've never opened up the right process in their life to experience the Holy Spirit. I don't think there's a greater tragedy in Christianity. How do you do it? It's got to be dry and boring. If you just come every Sunday and sing songs at a whiteboard and you don't feel anything, or your life is just this, this pursuit after God but never feeling like you're actually engaging or experiencing, that, that's a horrible. It doesn't work like that. It's not supposed to work like that. We're supposed to feel God's anointing. We're supposed to feel him welling up within us. We're supposed to, to experience God. Because when you do experience God, it's like, this is the best feeling ever. There's no other feeling that beats it. And so we're, we're always hungering and desiring after more of God because we know how good it feels. But it's not just feelings-based. It's experiencing God so that we are reassured and know that God is at work so that we can give that away. That's essentially what it is. We're just the vessel. But we've got to give God the rightful place in our life so that he can have freedom to move and flow in our life. So it's accurate biblical language and proper reasoning to talk about the fullness of the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Spirit. It's, it's actual biblical language. I've come from denominations where if you talk that language, you get branded weird. But it's actual normal Christian language. It's normal talk. You know, when Paul wrote to the, the Ephesians, he said, be being filled with the Spirit, a constant, ongoing filling with God. And so if you're just going to have one encounter of God when you get saved and then never be filled again, you're going to run dry really quick because we're leaky vessels and we're supposed to be vessels that are giving our lives away and then so we need to be refilled and renewed and re-energized and, and, and constantly this overflow is happening in our life because by him, we live and move and have our very being. The Holy Spirit is the one that enables us to do anything. And so if we throw ourselves on him, knowing that we need his presence, we need his power, we need his work in our lives, we'll be in a great place. Now listen, what was the criteria or what was the promise that was given to every one of the New Testament Men of God. There was a number of things that happened. When John the Baptist was born, the Holy Spirit was given to him in the fullness of God even before he was born. The scriptures tell us in Luke 1.15 that when John the Baptist was born, he was already full of the Spirit. But when we come to Jesus, we know that he was baptized in the Jordan and the Spirit of God came down on him. And the next line is, and Jesus went into the desert full of the Holy Spirit. 
Okay, when the, the 12 apostles were starting to grow the church and, and things were starting to get a bit too much for them, they decided to raise up co-leaders. And, they, and, and the description that they gave was, find men full of the Spirit. That was the phrase, the terminology, full of the Spirit. So it's, it, it's a reasonable thing for me to say, let me look through my congregation and ask, who is full of the Spirit? Which man? Which woman? Which teenager? Because if God is saying fullness of the Spirit is, is the criteria for going on to greater things in God, then we should be making sure we are full of the Spirit. When it came to Stephen, they chose Stephen because he was a man full of the Spirit. So something about his life demonstrated that he was full of the Spirit of God. Barnabas is described as a man full of the Spirit. And Paul is described as a man who received the fullness of God. And we've all received the fullness of God, I hope. But the question is more, more whether that is activated in our life and we're moving in that fullness. Because it's not by human might or by power or by human strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Therefore, we've got to ask that question all the time. Am I dependent on God? Am I filled with the spirit? Am I doing this in my strength or am I doing it because I've stepped aside and let the Holy Spirit fill me and use me and empower me? So it should never be a question of whether or not we have received the Holy Spirit. If you're sitting here today asking yourself the question, I don't know if I am filled with the Spirit, that is an illogical question and line of reasoning for a believer because you either are or you aren't. It's not, it's not an am, ambiguous statement and it's not an ambiguous experience. You are either full of the Spirit or not. You've either encountered the baptism of the Holy Spirit or you haven't. You know that because it's in your inner being that it happens. And if it hasn't happened, you'll know because you're asking the question, did or or didn't. You'll know. You have to know because it was what the apostles looked for to see a demonstration of the Spirit's work in people's life as a proof of the infilling of God. If I fill my petrol tank up and I click the button, I keep holding on and holding on and holding on, if it's one of the new nozzles, what will happen when the petrol reaches the top? It'll click off, right? But if it's one of the old ones, it never used to. So if you weren't concentrating, suddenly you'd have petrol all down your leg or something. But that's the principle of God's empowering all of us. He's infilling. It flows up. And fills and fills and fills and fills and fills and fills and comes out somewhere. And most of the time it was prophetic words or it was the gift of tongues. That was a demonstration of the initial encounter with the Holy Spirit where people who were humble and broken came and said, I've realized what a mess I've made of my life. I need God's empowering. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. I need you. And so that positional place that they put themselves in of an open heart was opening their inner being and inviting the Holy Spirit to come. He will always come. He'll never fail to come because that's his purpose. That's his activity. He's called the vicar of Christ, the presence of Jesus on earth in us. That's what he wants to do. He longs for us to go, Lord, I'm hungry. I'm dry. I'm thirsty. Fill me. I need more of you. We can never get enough. And we need that hard attitude to keep coming back to God all the time. Lord, fill me. Revive me. 
It should always be a question of needing, ongoing, renewing and empowering by the Spirit. There's nothing wrong with that language. There's nothing wrong with that pursuit. There's nothing wrong with every morning getting up and just going, Lord, I don't have the strength today. I need your empowering. Lord, I don't have the wisdom. I need your wisdom. Because what we're doing is we're just saying, I know I'm a weak, frail, leaky vessel that needs God. And it's all we're doing is throwing ourselves in dependence on the Lord. It's a good place to be. The disciples' charge is to continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit, which speaks to the things which are allowing or inhibiting the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. It's a constant battle. We give God control. He rises up in us. He has freedom to move. And then suddenly we get busy or we take things back or you know, we start to get away from God, but we come back again. We ask God to fill us afresh, renew us, and we move on. There's two warnings in Scripture about um, the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. The first one speaks to the personality of the Spirit. The Scriptures say, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That speaks to the personality of the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit was a power, you couldn't grieve him. But because he's a person, because he has a personality, because he's in relationship with you and me, we can do things that grieve that relationship. And the whole point of grieving means, means to make sad or to make sorrowful. So if you and I do things in our life that, that build up a barrier to relationship with the Spirit, then we're, we're grieving him. We're stopping him from having that place in our life that he so longs for. Does that make sense? Do you understand the concept of grieving someone? Like if I come home and I swear at Cheryl and I tell her she's useless, obviously I've grieved her, haven't I? Like I've spoken stuff into or I've, I've done things that have severed that, the, the intimacy of that relationship. And we do that all the time, knowingly and unknowingly, just the fact that we're busy and we don't give God time in our life. Grieves him. He's crying out. I want more time, Dave. I want more time, Scott. I want to walk with you. I want to be involved in your business. I want to be involved when you're hammering. I want to be there. I want to be involved in everything that you're involved with. Invite me in, please. Stop putting up barriers. Make me part of everything. That's what the Holy Spirit's longing for. And sadly, we just, we just get stuck in our own strength, don't we? We know we can sort of get away with it and doing it by ourselves, but then we get empty and dry and life doesn't feel very purposeful and then we come to this place on a Sunday where someone says, hey, wake up, <laughs> come back to God and we know that's what we should be doing. So what are we doing with our lives that would anguish or, or grieve the Holy Spirit? Get back to that place in God where nothing's in the way. The other word that I think it's really important too. They're both unique words, aren't they? To grieve is not a common word that we would use in our language or to quench the Spirit. I think grieving means more about our relationship with the Spirit and I think quenching means more about allowing the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does in our life in terms of manifesting His power and His ways of working. So when... Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church and said, do not quench the spirit. The next line is, do not treat prophecies with contempt. It's really talking about being a vessel that allows God to do what God does and not dictating terms. Not saying, God, I'll accept this and this and this, but I won't allow that and that and that. 
Because then we're, we're like dousing the flame of the Spirit. We're saying, Lord, you can, you can come to our church and we'll let you do this and this and this, but we won't let you have anyone speak in tongues because that could be risky. We might get out of control. You know, something might happen that's unusual, you know. But I'm, I'm deadly serious. We are going to stand before God and men like me who have governed over churches, God is going to nail us. He is going to say, you took the reins. You stood there and you were the gatekeeper of the church and you said, no, I won't allow that to happen. That's dangerous ground. You, you cannot control God like that. And there are going to be things that God wants to do that I, I'm going to go, I don't get it. I don't understand but there will be fruit that is born as a result of that. We should be seeing stuff that happens in our midst all the time that we can only put down to the work of the Spirit. That's when our church is really a church that's alive in God. When, when we go, that couldn't have been Cheryl. That had to be the Holy Spirit. And, and as a church, we've got to get to that place. I know we're moving there, but we've got to, we've got to keep cultivating this Holy Spirit dynamic. It's not like we're treating the Holy Spirit like an energy drink. Like he's not a V that we're going, oh, let's glug a V, we'll feel good for an hour. Now, this is a lifestyle of cultivating obedience to the Spirit of God and letting him rule and reign in our life as the King of Kings. And sadly, a lot of us have come from conservative denominations where we've been spoon-fed some of the spiritual things of God, but we've sort of been, you know, maybe not overtly told not to, but we haven't been in, a, in, a, in an environment where things have been cultivated and you've been encouraged to encounter these things. I want us to be a church that is full of the wind of the Spirit, full of the fire of God, that riveting waters are flowing all the time. And so that's something that only you and I can cultivate personally because it's an inner being experience. And I don't have the power and the authority to pray some prayer over Matt and suddenly make him this spiritual superstar. He's got to cultivate that. He's got to open up his heart and say, Lord, I don't understand because you're a supernatural God who can do anything you want, but I know I need you. And I'll step out of the way even though I might be fearful and don't understand and I'll let you fill me up. Lord, have your way. Do what you want to do. And when we can come to that place, God has absolute freedom to come. And we need that desperately. Otherwise, we'll just be stale religious people going through the motions of doing what we think feels good and what we think pleases God but not ever really knowing you know, I want us to be out of control. I don't mean hanging from the chandeliers, you know. <laughs> That's not what I mean. I mean, I want us to be out of control in the sense that we know that we're fully surrendered to God and, and that he's at work in us and we know that he's at work in us because what's coming out of our mouth and what's, what behavior we have and what we're doing demonstrates the fullness of God is there. How did they know Barnabas was a man full of the Spirit? Because he sold all his property and gave it to the church. When's the last time you've ever seen that happen? If anyone wants to sign over their mortgage to Catalyst, feel free. <laughs> but you get the point? He was doing things that obviously demonstrated that the Spirit of God was alive in him. And we need that more than ever. 
I want to be really clear about this. There is no shame, no stigma about coming and seeking more of God, whether that's for the first time or the 1,000th time or the 1 millionth time. It should never be uh, something that, that we judge other people for. In fact, it should be the other way around. We should be saying, isn't it great the way that person keeps coming back for God, You know, keeps coming and asking for more? It's not a crime. It's actual proper biblical perspective to know that in my human frailty, I can't do it. I can't sustain it. I can't keep going. I'm going to burn out. I'm going to come to the end of my wisdom. So God's wisdom has to kick in. I'm going to come to the end of my strength. I mean, how did Jesus minister to all those people? The multitudes came. How did he do that? You know, how did Greg and Julie prophesy over 100 people in a day? I'd run out of thing, great ideas to say. I'd just be praying the same prayer over the time, all the time. Why? Because they're not relying on their own strength. It's the Holy Spirit welling up in them and overflowing through them. And we all have the capacity to do that. But we've got to let God rise up in us. It's an inside out. Does that make sense? We need to be a church that keeps asking God, Lord, fill me afresh today. Holy Spirit, come. Not be fearful of what God might do in our lives. I can guarantee you this. He will do things that are supernatural because he's supernatural. He can only be who he is. And, and, and I don't want to be a church where we poo-poo or, or, or you know, try and hold back God from doing what he wants to do. Because that's religion. And God will never be pleased with that. Why don't you stand on your feet this morning? Thank you, Lord. Why don't you just close your eyes for a moment? I want you just to picture your life at the moment like a, like a gauge. And you know whether you're on full or you're on empty or you're half full or you're struggling with things. You know whether you're tired and worn out. You know whether you're intimate with the Lord or you're not. He's at a distance. You know that. That's not a complicated thing to decide. But I want to pray this morning that God is going to fill you afresh today. And I think sometimes, you know, if you're, if you're going to fill the kettle up, you've got to lift the lid so you can put the water in. I think sometimes we've got to open our hearts and, and be very conscious of what we're doing. I'm saying, Lord, come and fill me afresh. I want to do this two ways this morning. I want to pray and ask that God will touch your inner being and fill you afresh today but then I also want to open it up for you to come and receive prayer personally that perhaps there's a there's a blockage in your life that you just can't get past and you just need some help I'm not going to make it a big embarrassing thing Cheryl and I are going to stand over on the side and you can come and we'll pray for you this morning I just want you to open up your hands Hold them in front of you like 
this is your life. And it's by faith that we do this, believing that the Holy Spirit is going to work. He's going to touch us and he's going to fill us today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Rabba Shakana Saitete. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, I want to thank you that you know each and every one of us so beautifully, Lord. What a precious moment this is, Lord, where we stand knowing that you indwell our lives. Lord, we know that we need more of you, that there's never a point really in our life where there isn't room for more possession of our lives. And Lord, sometimes we've got to lay things down to give you room. Sometimes we've got to ask forgiveness for the things that have grieved you or quenched you. And Lord, today you're... We're holding our life in front of us. And Holy Spirit, I just want to pray that you would speak to people and show them what it is that's grieved you or what has quenched your work. Just as the Lord reveals things to you this morning, just just ask for forgiveness or confess them.